Hello and welcome to CCTV's Channel 17 and Town Meeting Television. I'm Matt Kelly with another candidate forum for our 2018 general election. We are uh, joined this evening by Jim Condos and H. Brooke Page, candidates for uh, Secretary of State. We do uh, have news that Mary Alice Herbert was not available to join us this evening. She is still running. You will see her name on the ballot. Time for opening statements from each of our candidates. Brooke Page, we'll begin with you. Very good. Thank you for having me, Matt. Uh, my name is Brooke Page, and, and I've been a uh, Vermonter here for over 30 years. Uh, commuted back and forth to Philadelphia for most of that time to earn a living. Uh, I'm a member of the ju I'm a Justice of the Peace and a member of the Board of Civil Authority in my little town of Washington, Vermont, where I take great pride in doing that. Uh, over the past few election cycles, I've been c become concerned about uh, the process we have in the elections and and several aspects. One, the open primary system is, is basically some sort of prancing pony show that really doesn't uh, get a lot done and uh, at the same time costs the uh, Secretary of State's office a fair amount of money. Um, I think there's better ways to do that and so that's one thing that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, there's other aspects, I mean the Secretary of State's office does a lot of uh, desperate things. Uh, they, they're in charge of archives, in charge of uh, corporations uh, uh, and, and also used to have an educational function that they no longer seem to do a lot as far as civics, not so much as far as uh, educating ta town clerks and things of that nature. And so there's a lot of th thing areas for improvement. Uh, Jim's not doing a bad job by any stretch of the imagination, but I think there's other things, and we'll get into some of those, that, that can be improved. Very good. Uh, Jim Connos, your opening statement, please. Uh, thank you very much, Matt. And first and foremost, I love my job. I love going to work in the morning. Uh, and and my, I, I see the opportunity of serving Vermonters and providing customer service. I have a background working for uh, of over 30 years in business, uh, and I, I have um, worked for a Fortune 100 company, a Vermont regulated utility, and a Vermont uh, family-owned $30 million distribution company. My public sector, I was a, a city councilor for the city of South Burlington for 18 years. Eight of those years I was the chair. Uh, I served in the state senate and chaired two different committees, education and uh, government operations. Government operations is the committee that actually has the authority over the uh, Secretary of State's office. And I've been eight years now as Secretary of State. Um, I also, this year, was elected by my peers, Republican and Democrat, to be the president of the National Association of Secretaries of State. Um, we've completed six IT projects, all successfully and on budget. Uh, we, are made, we, have gone, we have really reformed our, our office from a paper-driven system that was inefficient, that was inaccurate, to one that is very accurate, very efficient. Uh, and we continue to look at all the business practices to make sure that we're doing things the right way. Um, with regards to corporations, the registration system, we, we actually went from 0% online to now 98% online. With the Office of Professional Regulation, we've gone from 0% online to now 98% online. Uh, and elections, we'll get into more uh, as we go. Good. Uh, just a reminder that if you, our viewer, has a, a comment or a question for our candidates, our phone lines are open at 862-3966. And we welcome all our viewers enjoying our online stream at ch17.tv. And a reminder to our candidates, we have a limited time, so if we can keep <laughs> to uh, 
minute, two minutes to our responses, that'd be great. Uh, we're going to begin with you, Jim, here. Uh, public records, they just seem to be really in the uh, uh, space today. Uh, there are numerous lawsuits about uh, access to these public rec records. Uh, news organizations are having to spend limited funds uh, to pursue these, these uh, documents. What is the balance? And, you know, isn't it ultimately Vermonters' right to know and need to know? Absolutely, and, and frankly, I've been right on top of that. Um, we've worked since the first day I walked in the office uh, with the legislature to increase the, uh, the management of our public records, but also to improve how they're dealt with. Let's be clear, public records are all records that are created by, by government, whether they're acquired or created. And so they're all public. There is there are certain exemptions that are allowed uh, by law uh, that, that protect some of the identity information that's in those public records. So what we do is, is I've been really clear with the legislature that that is something we need to address completely. Uh, I'm, I have actually been pushing for an ombudsperson uh, to, to actually act as a, if you want to call it an intermediary between the, the final denial by an agency before you go to court because really that's all you have you know the media and I talk with the media all the time the only response they have is to go to court right. and and that's uh, uh, a real problem and and I have been adamantly uh, in favor of increasing the public records access uh, in fact to the point where we changed the law that allows not makes it mandatory for uh, for uh, attorney's fees, if, if a, whether it's a citizen or, or a media outlet, whether they win, if they win substantially, they will get their attorney's fees back. Uh, so I've been really upfront about that. Very good. Uh, Brooke, your response on that? Um, as far what's as... The, what's the, the, the fine line between the right to know of the public, uh, transparency uh, when it re refers to these uh, documents uh, and you know news I, organizations and their limited funds to have to sue uh, for the right to review some of these I, records. I think that all of uh, government records should be open and transparent. Uh, I think that only when there's confidentiality of, of employees or something of that nature should there be any restrictions mm -hmm. at all. Uh, I know un under Bill Sorrell, uh, T.J. Donovan's predecessor, there was a whole lot of not wanting to show things up, and I think uh, they wound up going to court and finding that the at least Mr. Sorrell's uh, position uh, as far as emails and and uh, other electronic communications couldn't be held back, and so I think that was a good thing. Uh, I had taken this when we were sent the questions. I took it as being a little bit more of local records rather than, than the mm -hmm. state, and mm -hmm. and I know that in our our little town, our, our town clerk, uh, Carol Davis, is uh, extremely efficient in making sure all of the records are available any time. You know, and mm -hmm. and uh, so that aspect of it is another another thing that, ha as far as access to local and, and uh, town records. Um, but uh, I, you know, I I, th I think it's important that more transparency. One problem that I've had, mm -hmm. I can from a is that uh, the documents that are kept in archives, which are also under the Secretary of State's. Uh, control is somewhat less or, or more disoriented. I've had a great deal of problem retrieving old election records and things like that from mm -hmm. archives and, and uh, many of them are misfiled and when that's done it, it's a huge problem to try mm -hmm. to locate and, and, and uh, isolate the documents. 
Okay. Uh, we'll move right on here, uh, and uh, we'll move to you. Uh, Brooke, yeah. you uh, had uh, intimated in your opening statement, um, you had some concerns about the open primary and the uh, dollars and cents that that costs. Uh, can you speak to that and some of your other concerns that you see uh, are why you might be running for your office? Yeah, well, the one of the primary things that have been involved in my efforts in the past three election cycles in 2000. Uh, 14 and 2016, I ran as a Democrat for uh, governor and attorney general, trying to make the point that our open primary system is just totally out of control. Anybody, uh, I need to preface that with I'm a lifetime Republican. And, uh, you know, in our current system, anybody can run for anything or more than any one office. Uh, you can, uh, a lifelong Republican can run as a Democrat, Democrats can run as Republicans, uh, Democrats can cross over since they get wind up with all three ballots in the primary and write all the Democratic published candidates in, in the, uh, on the Republican ballot, which has been done a number of times. As a matter of fact, uh, my efforts this go-round uh, made it the first time since, I think, 2002 that a Democrat wasn't able to secure by write-ins uh, the Republican nomination for, for, for office. So this whole thing, the, the cost that I've been told by folks in the elections office uh, is that the primary costs just the state about two hundred and fifty to $300,000 in an off year and another 100000 or so to run the presidential primary, which has all of the same problems to it. Um, I'd really like to see us either go to a closed primary system, which wouldn't really save us that much money, or more importantly, that we'd go to a caucus system, mm. uh, not like Iowa has where they're all running around in a mm. gymnasium to, to folding mm -hmm. tables or something, mm -hmm. but where the parties would each come up with the set of rules on how they're going to select their candidates, it, um, and then they would have a statewide convention where, as I envision it, the county committees where the candidates have gone to do their sales pitch would all send delegates to the state uh, convention. And, and so this would, the, the, the um, caucus system would save us all of this money because the point at which the, the slates of candidates for each party would be given to the uh, Secretary of State would be through the nomination by committee process. So just so I'm understanding yeah. this a little bit, you are not in favor of the open primary process. The primary process, in fact, where you were on a ballot for several different offices. Total of seven at the seven. outset. Uh, in the general election, we have a candidate, uh, a third party candidate on the ballot for several offices mm -hmm. as well. And you are not in favor of that system. Is that what you are advocating? I'm exclusively speaking to the primary system. Okay. okay? I'm not saying that it's inappropriate for a candidate to be in more, running for more than one office in the general election. Okay. How they would do that, though, would, as they do now, they would have, sign, have people sign a uh, petition as they're running as an independent for each of those offices they okay. sought to seek. So there would be no exclusion of any candidates. Ah. We'd still have quite a few candidates on the general election ballot. But this would concentrate the efforts of the Democratic Party, Republican Party, Liberty Union Party, progressives, mm -hmm. uh, to come up with their um, champions for the general election. And all of the time, money, and, uh, and efforts that are wasted in the primary 
here in Vermont currently, for the most part, to no avail. I mean, many of the many of the offices or or many of the parties don't really want to have competitions in the primary. So it basically becomes like Russia, where there's one name for each office. Okay. Uh, so Jim, uh, open, uh, we asked him uh, about the open primary process. Uh, he himself, uh, Brooke. Uh, his candidacy, in a sense, was a, uh, a statement about the open primary process during our primary season. Um, your thoughts on, on, uh, on that and, and some of the issues that he's raised? Well, first, I need to correct a couple things that he said. And one, one is that in the presidential primary, you don't actually get to, you get to pick which ballot you want to fill out you, at the time that you uh, are checking in. You don't get two ballots and then decide which one you're going to fill in. Um, the other is that the, the primary process that we have now does not require party registration. If you went to a closed primary, we would have to have primary uh, uh, party registration. Is that a, a good thing or a bad thing? Well, or? I would say by the number of calls we get just because of the presidential primary, it's a bad thing. Uh, most people do not want to be uh, pigeonholed into a party as, uh, as a Republican or a Democrat or, or a progressive. And I think that that, that is something that you know, where it's a public information, you are a registered Republican, you are a registered Democrat. You don't have that in Vermont right now. Mm. And it hasn't been that way since around 1980. Uh, so I would say that, that the general public would not support that. Um, having said that, uh, I don't have a problem with talking about with the legislature. It's not my office that makes that decision. It's the legislature that would make those decisions. Uh, but I would not have a problem with talking to them about caucuses. I have in the past mm. talked to them about whether we offer an, op uh, an opportunity for a party to declare that they want to do a, pro a, a caucus rather than a primary election. Uh, so it, you know, th there are costs to it and there's cost to everything. Mm. Uh, but I think that we have a system right now that allows for open. And I do want to, you know, my opponent here has said that, that you know, the Democrats have manipulated the Republican vote. Uh, I can tell you that I've won the Republican nomination in the previous three elections. Um, I did it without even asking one person to cross over and, and vote for me. Mm -hmm. um, this time in the in the election that, that Brooke won uh, on the Republican side, I received pr over 90 percent of the Republican write-in votes to go to be uh, to be their nominee. So I think it's 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 really the people are speaking, and and I think this is one thing that I am very concerned about is to make sure that the the people of Vermont have the opportunity to voice their concerns, and that's how they do it. Your voice is your, your vote is your voice. That's what, what, what lets you know uh, how people think. Very good. Uh, you, you're and running seriously, uh, so I think you've got some uh, uh, rebuttal. I do. First of all, uh, well, it, it, I ha I'm not advocating necessarily for closed versus open primaries. I'm, I'm advocating for a caucus system because Jim's correct. If you had a closed primary, you'd have to declare your party. But that's exactly what we have in the presidential primary. When you go in and ask for which ballot, which ballot you've asked for is recorded, and that's a public record that is, is available to the parties. Matter of fact, the, I think the parties have insisted on that because they use it as a method for um, for culling their, their information, doing their data mining. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim said, oh, look, 90% of the Republicans' write-ins were for him. Well, 90% of those people were not Republicans because you can take a look and the exact same people down, or at least 
based upon this, the statistics, the exact same number of people crossed over and voted for Beth Pierce and Doug Hoffer and T.J. Donovan on the Republican ballot. It's, it's a, a cadre of Democrats who regularly do this. And I guess the fact that, I, that none of the offices were open this time didn't pers dissuade them from doing so. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, it, it, the whole open primary thing is just it's just a real circus that needs to be put an end to. Okay. Uh, we do have a caller, and uh, we'll go right uh, to that right now. Caller, we thank you for uh, dialing in and uh, asking a question, both of uh, uh, Jim Condos and uh, Brooke Page. Your question, please. Yes. Uh, I just heard uh, somebody mention the, the three-party system, Democrat, Republican, and Progressive. Um, I didn't realize that we still had that now because all the progressives are running as Democrats, and all the Democrats seem to be progressive. So basically, we still have a two-party system with the progressives hiding themselves underneath the Democratic mantle. Is that a true statement? Uh, thank you for the question, uh, caller. Uh, Brooke, we'll begin with you. Democrat, progressive, is it one party I, or is it two parties? I'll just make the brief comment that it appears that a lot of the folks that used to be progressive have suddenly become Democrats, and I think that was because the progressives didn't seem to be, at least on statewide basis, didn't seem to be able to get a lot of traction. And so they have now recast themselves as Democrats. And I think the caller to that extent is true. And we have a multi-party system. It's not only the, what remains of the progressive party, Democrats and Republicans. We also have the Liberty Unionist as well, uh, Peter Diamondstone's uh, uh, flagship that, that soldiers on. Right. Uh, Jim Condos, uh, Democrat, progressive, is it a one-party? Uh, I would uh, say no, it's not. I mean, I think there are differences between all three parties, uh, and, and I think the, the fact that you have somebody running as a Democrat and then they switch over and become a progressive in the, in the, uh, in the general election, that's, that's a, a tactic that they use uh, to uh, show that they're a progressive Democrat versus a Democrat progressive. And, and, and you know what, that's the system we have. And if, if, the, if the legislature wants to, to debate that system, we can change that. But, but it's, it's, it's the current system that we have. And, and you know, it's, it's the people that are voting. The people know when someone is running for uh, as a Democrat or as a progressive, they understand that, and they know who they're voting for. Um, I mean, for instance, David Zuckerman has run a, as a Democratic uh, nominee uh, in, the, in the primary, and then he becomes a progressive first uh, as a statewide candidate. Um, he's upfront about that. He tells people that he's running as a Democrat in the, in the primary, but will become a primary, a progressive in the, in the, uh, in, in the general election. He still has a Democrat after his name. But okay. he's, he's a progressive. Uh, if we may, we're, we, well, we, just, we only have a little limited okay. time. We're going to move on here. I apologize. Um, and so we'll move uh, here, Jim, uh, with this question here. And it sort of is following up on what we uh, were talking a little bit uh, with uh, uh, Brooke here and what he raised about in terms of the open primary. Senator, uh, President, uh, Senate President uh, Tim Ash has floated the possibility of raising a constitutional amendment to make the governor a four-year term. Do you support a four-year term for the governor? And also, do you think that the governor and the lieutenant governor should both be of the same party, elected as a slate candidacy? 
uh, that might take a constitutional I amendment to that. change that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, 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 I believe that uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the system we have. I do believe that all statewides should be a, a four-year term. I don't think it's a good idea to have two-year terms. When I was in the state senate, uh, I sponsored actually uh, at least two constitutional amendments to change that. I don't think it's a good idea to do just the governor and not every any of the other statewides. Uh, and I also think that whether it's the Senate or the House and the Senate, that they also should have four-year four seats as well, maybe split them up so that they're off years. Uh, but, but I think, you know, if, if you have a governor with a four-year term and everybody else's two-year term, that means the governor is free in that second term, the second two years of his term, to go out and campaign for anybody he wants without repercussion. Um, and I don't think that's a good idea from a balance of power. Uh, so I do think it's a good idea, though, for a four-year term for at least the statewides and preferably at least the, the Senate. Um, I know that many of the House members have said that they would rather stay as a two-year term because they're considered closer to the people. They have a smaller district and it's closer to the people. But I, I, I think that it, there's, there's good reason for doing four-year terms, one of them being planning processes. Right. Uh, we're going to come to you in, uh, in that in just a minute, Brooke. I want to just do a follow-up question uh, with uh, Jim on this. Um, it's, it's a six-year process, isn't it, if that were to even well, begin? It could because be. it would have to be a biennium and then the next biennium. So potentially even... Uh, it, might, it, it could it, also be just five. It depends. It's a long process. For it to occur. Yes, okay. and, and essentially what has to happen is it has to start, the constitutional amendments start in the Senate. Yep. Uh, it has to be approved by two-thirds majority. Then it goes to the, uh, the House. It has to be approved by a simple majority. It does not go to the governor. You have a new legislature elected, new biennium. Uh, at that point, it's, it's a, a simple by, a majority by both bodies. And if it passes both of that at that point, then it goes to a referendum vote of the people. Okay. Um, and that's the process. Uh, so, Brooke Page, uh, a four-year uh, governor term and a uh, slate candidacy for the governor and lieutenant governor. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm not in favor of four-year term. I think I think that the two-year two term that we've had since the foundation of the of the state is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, if, if the voters have a good fellow that's in there, they're going to readily return him to office. If we get a bit of a rascal in there, it's only two years that we have the opportunity to maybe show them the door. The other part of this that's never discussed in, uh, about this four-year term thing is nobody ever talks about term limits. If sudden, I mean, our, my thing is the best term limits we have is a two-year cycle. Mm. You know, if we have somebody good in there, they can be in there for three, four, five terms if, if they're doing a good job and everybody's pleased with them. But if you have a four-year term without term limits, then they... they have a lot of damage that they can do before we can show them the door. Uh, like I said, I'm really in favor of keeping it as a two-year term. I know for incumbents that tends to be a little bit more of a problem, but it keeps them on their toes. How about a slate candidacy for the lieutenant governor? governor? Uh, I've heard that advanced several times. I'm not sure that I'm displeased with the system we have now. Uh, you know, the uh, having both of the people on the same ticket, which would be the same as when we have presidential and vice presidential uh, candidates running together, really becomes incumbent on the governor at that point, and then whoever he chooses to to 
come along with him rather than each, each of the candidates having to stand on their own ground. And, you know, it makes for an interesting mix. Certainly when we, we t returned uh, Dick Snelling to office and um, Howard Dean was the lieutenant governor, we had an unexpected turn of events. And some, some think that was good, and a lot of people, <laughs> other people think it wasn't so good. But, you know, I, I think that each candidate needs to be selected on their own merits. And so having a, uh, having a uh, two-candidate ticket for governor and lieutenant governor uh, needs a lot more thought before, before we would decide to do that. Very good. Uh, Brooke, we'll uh, go to, yeah. uh, to you for the final uh, question here uh, before we get to our uh, final candidate statements. And that really is about voter fraud. Uh, you know, there's such national concern here about the Russians hacked our elections. How confident are you that uh, the Secretary of State is doing everything that they can to protect Vermonters in their privacy data as well as our voter systems being protected against fraud? Ooh, two totally different questions. Um, Both uh, interlinked. I'm not sure that, the, uh, that our personal data um, is necessarily well protected by the Secretary of State because I don't know if that's really within within the, uh, uh, the the wheelhouse of the Secretary of State's office. That you know, so much of data and and, and processing and all of this thing that is subject to hacking is really outside of the control not only of the Secretary of State but the state itself, as as um, as the Attorney General candidates were talking about earlier. As far as elections, our system is still sufficiently manual, you know, with checks and balances between the paper ballots and the optical readers and then that data being transmitted, that I think there's not a great opportunity for fraud on that scale. Um, I think that a lot of people perceive that there's voter fraud in the state. Uh, when you're out just out and about talking with people, there, it strikes me that 10 or 15 percent of people really think that something nefarious is going on. I know Randy Brock a number of years ago when he was an um, auditor of accounts did a fairly extensive survey taking a look at voter registration and while he found a significant number of dead folks and folks that had moved away were still on the voter registration rolls, he found very little evidence that the dead people were rising from their slumber to go vote. But at the same time, I think it, the other aspect of this, and Jim talks all about voter suppression, mm. uh, I think there's a big thing that with 10 or 15 percent of the people thinking that a significant number, and, I, and, and this is all subject to somebody actually going out and, and uh, analyzing this and getting data on it, but I, would, I, I think that 15 percent of the people think that 8 or 10 or 12 percent of the vote, vote is somehow compromised. And many of these people who I've talked to have said, I've, I've given up on voting. I've stopped mm. voting. I've stopped being involved in the process because it's all corrupt. And I'm sitting there saying, I don't think it's that bad. I think the perception is far worse than the reality. But at the same time, these are people that have basically been subject to voter suppression that mm. because there hasn't been a strong statement put out there that, you know, the, the ballot is secure, that the process is secure, that a lot of people have become disenfranchised. Mm. Jim, that's a big question there. So uh, are we secure? Are we safe? Yes, we have 100% confidence so in our system. So let me first say we are not on the state system. We are on our own separate server. Mm. And so we are protected. Um, this has been at the forefront of 
of the secretaries of state across this country, red states and blue states, for the last two years. Uh, here in Vermont, we actually started back in 2013 with cybersecurity risk and vulnerability assessments to understand better what we are. The 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 um, study that, that uh, my opponent had, had referenced about Randy Brock, that had, had to do with an old database that we used to use. That system is gone as of 2015. It is no longer in, in service. We have now a more sophisticated system. As far as dead people being on the, on the voter registration database, there will always be on every database across this country, dead people on the, on the it just doesn't change that quickly. Um, so there will always be people. There will always be people on it who have moved to another state. The problem is if they vote in more than one place. Correct. That is the issue. And we have a system in place now where when someone is registered in Vermont, the, our system automatically audits the, audits the database and lets the, the person know, the, the town clerk know, because it all starts at the town clerk and works its way up to us. We don't maintain, we just maintain the big database, but it all is, is the actual maintenance is done by the, each town clerk. So there is an audit system in place that allows the town clerk to see when John Smith from Washington uh, registers to vote, oh, they're already registered in Burlington, then it will send a notice to Burlington to let them know to remove that person Very from good. their system. Great. So we actually have a system in place, and I will say this clearly. Voter fraud, the true voter fraud in this country, is denying any eligible American the right to cast a ballot. That's the true voter fraud. Uh, and, and by the way, just this week, we announced uh, publicly that uh, Vermont re set a record for the number of re voter registrations. We crossed the 480,000 in, in uh, 2016 uh, on election day it was around 465,000. 92.5%. So exactly. Is. Wonderful. My thanks to both our candidates here. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so we cannot do closing statements, but we thank them both for joining us here this evening. And a reminder that early voting has already begun here in the state of Vermont and continues up until election day. You can register to vote and cast your ballot on the same day, all the way up until Tuesday, November 6th. For a complete calendar of upcoming, uh, forums, uh, candidate forums, please visit our website, ch17.tv, and we hope you will join us all here Tuesday, November 6th, for complete election results beginning at 7 p.m. For all of us at Town Meeting Television, I'm Matt Kelly. Thank you for watching.